There was a time when a young friend who became an addict said to me after he had been in recovery, Pastor, everyone is addicted to something. Well, if that's true, we could then say everyone has been incarcerated by something. And that's what we talk about today on Pathological. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. We're the podcast that explores the intersection of life, faith, and thinking theologically, or as we used to say back in seminary days, theological reflection. Uh, the podcast that you'll get to listen to today was recorded during Holy Week. In fact, I had planned to get it edited and out during that week, but we lost uh, a, a really good uh, friend uh, in our uh, church, and that took precedent, as it should. Uh but the content is actually evergreen. That means it's not just and wasn't just really about Holy Week. It just happened to be that the theme of captivity and incarceration is a really good theme for that particular week. So on the podcast today, I'm glad to have my friend and mentor, Dr. Rick Davis. We've had him on before, but today we talk about the new ministry that he's involved in the executive director of Chains of Grace. We'll have some information in the notes, places where you could support uh, their ministry if you find that uh, the content uh, leading you and the Spirit of God leading you in that direction. And so uh, we've got some other things on the horizon, but for today and for now, uh, give a listen. And as always, thanks for listening. Hello, this is Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast for the pastor theologian. On the podcast today, I'm glad to have my friend and mentor, Dr. Rick Davis. We met in 1985. So probably it's safe to say that Rick is my longest friend in ministry that I have to this day. And so I always look forward to chatting and finding a good excuse to uh, hop on the phone or the internet. And so, Rick, I'm glad to have you on today. I am so glad to be with you, uh, Todd Littleton. And certainly, we have known each other a little while, and it has been a, a wonderful association for me. Well, one of the things I wanted to do, Rick, is we, we, we've been on before, and, and we could talk about a number of subjects till everyone was asleep. But Given that this is Holy Week, mm-hmm. and uh, one of the most, uh, the most significant uh, event in the life of the most significant person took place, there's a theme that runs through the uh, details of Holy Week that are amplified, that are really present in all of Jesus's ministry, and that is the theme of liberation. Yes, and you are now the president of Chains of Grace. And I wanted to talk about what you do there, what the ministry um, goals are, kind of maybe a, a reference to the podcast. I've been listening to Reentry myself, and we'll put it in the in the notes for this uh, podcast. But but tell us about Chains of Grace, Rick. Brother Todd, my title is actually Executive Director. We have a president of our board who is a close personal friend of mine, a wonderful fellow, does probably as much for the ministry as I ever thought about. 
my fancy title is executive director. It really means chief cook and bottle washer. I, I chase things around. Um, Chains of Grace, our mission statement is, is very simple. We provide reentry services and supervision for men and women coming out of terms of incarceration, men and women coming out of prison. Uh, we are also establishing uh, as close relationships as we can with uh, county jails. And uh, we've gone uh, in the last year from eight beds, in about, about a year and a half, we've gone from eight beds <laughs> to 91. And uh, those pretty much remain full. And we take people who uh, have felonies, uh, certainly, if you can get them out of the county jails, uh, they may just have a series of misdemeanors and and uh, come out on probation rather than on parole. But we take these folks. Um, <coughs> we'll go and wait hours <coughs> for them to be released to us. Excuse me. And then uh, we take them to one of our safe houses. We uh, have a bed, so they have to have a bed if they're coming out on parole in our state, Texas. If they're going to come out, there has to be a bed waiting for them or they cannot be released. So we provide a bed for them and uh, we feed them and uh, we will help them get their documents. Many of them who have been in prison for any length of time come out and they long since lost their driver's license. Uh, they don't know where their social security card is. They may have not anything other in identification uh, than a prison ID, which is not always a recommendation in, in some places. So we will stand in line with them for hours on end, help them get their documents. Uh, we help them catch up on some of their medical and dental. We have a, a number of uh, wonderful doctors and dentists who will give us a hand catching them. Most of them come out uh, with very bad teeth. Mm. And uh, we, we uh, try to help them save what teeth they've got and fill in what gaps they need filled in. Uh, we have a long list of uh, felon-friendly employers uh, which changes constantly, but we have a lot of felon-friendly employers. Um, and so we'll help them find uh, real jobs, meaningful jobs, and uh, they can uh, start to put some money away. If, uh, if any of them have gone in uh, needing to pay child support, uh, that child support just piles up while they're in prison and uh, there's no way to pay it. Uh, usually, so they almost immediately start to pay their back child support when they come out to us. That's through the court, doesn't have anything to do with us, but uh, nonetheless, as they have income, they uh, start to uh, catch up those debts, which, are, which can be vital, uh, even if it's years and years later. Uh, we will uh, transport them to their parole meetings, until they're able to have transportation of their own. I think last year uh, for some of our houses that are in town, 
in Fort Worth, uh, we paid out uh, about uh, $12,000 for bus passes. Uh, there's still many of them able to ride buses and uh, we get a, a slightly discounted rate as a charity. And uh, so they will be able to get around from uh, their counseling and their uh, parole office uh, appointments. And for that matter, be able to get back and forth to work, which uh, is vitally important. Jobs are very important. Um, obviously, we provide Christian fellowship and teaching with them. We are a Christ-centered ministry. Uh, we are not faith-based. You can have faith in anything. We are Christ-centered, and people know that. We have a, a six-page application that is combined with about a three-page letter explaining who we are and what we are that goes to everyone who uh, indicates to us they want to apply uh, with us. And they're told over and over again that we are Christ-centered and uh, we cannot require them to go to church with us, although we provide church services for them. But we do tell them, if you're going to be in this ministry, you're going to go to church somewhere. You can choose, but you're going to go to church somewhere. Uh, many of them... <laughs> um, simply can't go to church, they're not welcome. And uh, that's, I suppose, understandable. Uh, it's still quite sad, uh, but we saw an opportunity to take Christ to some folks who just couldn't go to the church down the block uh, once they got out. And uh, we tell our guys, uh, if you're going to go to some other church, that's fine. <clears throat> but you have to go in first thing and tell uh, the pastor or whatever staff member is assigned, uh, you have to tell them who you are. You have to tell them what you've done. You have to tell them what you're about. We, uh, we don't want them to find out in a, in a secondhand way. So... Uh, we're, we're pretty uh, pushy about that. We provide all those services. What we find, uh, Brother Todd, uh, nationally, 68% of people who come out of prison go back in three years. Uh, if you get to the five-year uh, range, it's 77%. And that's what causes uh, some folks in the straight world, in the free world, to believe that these are just folks who are institutionalized. You really can't help them. They can only function in prison and they only understand crime. The truth of the matter is, if you've been in prison for 20 or 25 years, uh, you come out to a bewildering world. Um, you, the clo your clothes aren't right. Your family has moved on. Um, your friends are uh, not around anymore. You're just alone and you're bewildered. Uh, I know it's kind of a risque story, but I, I went down, picked up a guy, <clears throat> brought him to one of our safe houses. And on the way, he said, man, I have got to use the bathroom. I've got to do it. And I said, okay, but you're going to have to hurry. We only have just a few hours until uh, that thing on your, uh, your ankle bracelet goes off. 
And uh, he went into the bathroom and into the stall. Uh, sadly, I, I can't let him out of my sight when we're transporting them from point A to point B. And uh, so I had to go in there and, and stand outside the stall with him. And he finished and stood up. And I heard the toilet flush and I heard him uh, scream. And uh, I said, what's the matter? And he said, that toilet flushed itself. Mm. Yes, they do that now. And uh, he didn't, he'd never been around a self-flushing toilet. Uh, these guys don't have access to computer technology for various reasons. Uh, they don't have cell phones. Uh, we help them get cell phones. We try to help them get back in touch with whatever family is left and that will have anything to do with them. Uh, sadly, many times that's just, that's just not part of it. Um, so we do all those things. Uh, we see a lot of these folks come to Christ. Uh, you want to be, uh, particularly, uh, careful. Uh, a fellow who's in prison, a, a lady who's in prison, if, if you tell them, uh, that they'll get, uh, some positive attention or they'll get, uh, some food, uh, on a weekend, uh, if they'll just get saved, they'll get saved 12 times. Right. They'll get baptized every, every time you tell them to get baptized. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're very careful about that. Uh, we don't try to put immense pressure on people. And frankly, since we are a Christ-centered organization uh, in ministry, uh, most of the folks who come out uh, to us uh, may already have a real meaningful uh, uh, relationship with Christ that they've come to while they're in prison. That's kind of who we are. That's kind of what we do. There's a lot more. Yeah. A few things that you mentioned that I, I want to explore a little bit. Uh, and so maybe the, maybe the first would be um, listeners might uh, immediately have picked up on your reference to the difficulty of going maybe to the church down the street. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I would assume the first thing that would come to someone's mind is <clears throat> someone who would have to register as a sex offender needing to notify right. the congregation. But absent that, um, and that particular issue for someone who's been incarcerated for any amount of time, um, what do you suppose uh, is the prompting uh, behind uh, their the unwelcome experience? Uh, is it is it just the idea of someone who's a, who's a, a felon? Is it is it um, a, a spotted visual difference? Is it just the recognition that they're kind of not uh, as acclimated as the normal guest would be? What 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 do you? How would you kind of assess? Uh, that's that's a good question. As a matter of fact, it's a great question. <laughs> Let's set the RSOs aside for a moment. Uh, they carry with them their own. A set of difficulties, which are often uh, virtually insurmountable as far as the local church is concerned. A fellow who's been in prison 20, 22, 23, 25, 30, 40 years, uh, no, he doesn't look like everybody else. Uh, one of the first things we have to do is put clothes on them that fit and that are appropriate to their age group and that are uh, contemporary. Uh, we got one guy 
wonderful fellow, loved him to death. Uh, he, uh, he'd been in for uh, 38 years. He came out in a muscle shirt and a pair of parachute pants, MC Hammer parachute pants. Um, that, that'll mark you. Sure, sure. Yeah, that'll mark you. Um, and, and when, uh, when you go down to the, to the local church and, and, uh, let's be, you know, let's just be kind of blunt. These guys don't have any money. Right. Uh, they don't have a nickel. Um, that's one of the reasons they're so dependent upon us, especially at the start. Um, and they have a lot of catching up to do. <clears throat> and um, because the majority of uh, men and women we get are on parole, they're paying parole fees. Uh, they're paying uh, counseling fees. They're paying group fees. Uh, they don't have any money. Um and RSOs notwithstanding, uh, a lot of them are a little rough around the edges. There, there's a lot of prison tattooing. Uh, very few of them uh, survive any length of time in prison without um, identifying with some uh, gang or group. Mm-hmm. And uh, so they're going to have uh, some serious... Uh, tattoos that really stand out. Um, what what do churches want to grow with? Uh, you know, by and large, Brother Todd, uh, a lot of churches just grow with somebody else's church members. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, they're, these guys... Uh, they're not. They're not really, by and large, going to help you grow your church a whole lot. Um, and the church, uh, outside church, the outside world church, uh, may or may not even speak their language. Yeah. It, it's really very difficult to communicate with these guys uh, in prison. If a person uh, not in prison garb, if a if a person who is uh, a guard or even a chaplain, administrator, whoever, if they tell you to do something, you jump. Uh, and if you're told no about something, uh, you you may not like it, but you quickly take no for an answer because you can be violated uh, by for the least thing by the uh, lowest ranked person. And uh, certainly we're supportive of our law enforcement and all of our prison uh, folks, uh, guards and administrators, certainly the wonderful chaplains and others who go in. But it, Todd, it's just a different world. Uh, it's yeah, just yeah. a different world. I, I bought a truck not long ago uh, because my car quit, so I had to buy a vehicle and Todd, you know me. You know how often I change vehicles. I change vehicles about uh, as often as, uh, well, I just don't change vehicles. But right. I, I bought a truck, bought a new one. I'm of a such age that it's probably the last one I'll ever have to buy. Uh, so I bought a new one, and I drove it out there, and the guys came around. They went to one of our sites, 
and they were looking at it and they were asking me questions about it. And I put three or four of them in it and took them down to a uh, uh, abandoned uh, storefront uh, area uh, with a big parking lot and showed some of them how to drive. Wow. Um, They, when you go to jail at 17, when you're tried as an adult at 16, and you go into uh, big jail at 16 or 17, um, and you come out when you're in your 30s or 40s, uh, you miss a lot of life pages. Uh, I don't know who taught you to drive, Brother Todd. My dad and mom and my older brother showed me. Um, Perhaps your dad showed you. Uh, If you you sit and read these guys and, and girls, <clears throat> applications to come uh, be with us. Uh, we give them a long series of questions to tell us about their family. Virtually none of them have a dad yeah. that yeah. they remember. Yeah. Uh, the absence of a father, not a father figure, a father, period, right. is, uh, is just, it's just status quo. Right. Um, we had a fellow come out and uh, we do have some loaner cars and he got a job and we got him a license and insurance and loaned him a car. Uh, the dashboard light came on. He didn't know what it meant. He just kept on driving, burnt that car up. Mm. Uh, now he knows what it means, but he didn't know what it meant then. Uh, so he didn't stop. Um, just when you think you've, You've told everybody everything they need to know. They'll demonstrate to you. You have not yet told them everything they need. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a wonderful ministry. When we have a success, it is a success. It is a liberation. Uh, and we do have guys that I can take you to. There, some of them are on our reentry podcast that you've already mentioned. Uh, and I have every confidence in these guys. I've had them in my home, for goodness sake. I've had them around my children and my grandchildren. I have every confidence in them. Um, When we have a success, it's a success. The truth of the matter is uh, the the opposite is true. When we have a failure, you can hear it to to Oklahoma City. It's it's a pretty good failure. Yeah, the one thing that came to mind as you were kind of describing, um, you know, the the situation, uh, someone who's coming out of prison uh, uh, comes with into, uh, say, visiting or looking for a church, and since it's part of a Christ-centered program, uh, it just it 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 resonated with me that when we start, you know, kind of reflecting on uh, what we are given to. Uh, as much as we might read uh, about the sort of people that Jesus hung out with, we tend to clean that up enough that we feel, whether it's conscious or unconscious, we feel a little bit um, okay when someone enters our congregation or enters our building, and we can quickly identify that, well, they probably won't stick around long because, 
you know, they look a certain way. They might be tatted up. They obviously might not uh, be very well off. You might be able to tell by what car they pulled up in if they did. And it, and it, and it just reminds uh, that when we're talking about uh, Jesus during Holy Week, uh, it's, it, we, we forget that, that Jesus would have been part of the poverty class. He, he would have been uh, among the poor. He would have been the poor. And, and while, um, you know, we like to frame it in our own context, it's, it's very, very, um, uh, it very much misses the idea of uh, uh, who uh, understands liberation more. The one who's forgiven much, you know, uh, tends to, to recognize uh, all that has been done for them. Where some of us who feel like, well, you know, we, we might have could have made it, you know, all on our own. We don't feel as bad about uh, ourselves. And so we tend to diminish what grace looks like. And so it just when you were describing the way that that uh, sometimes it, these folk can't can't maybe find a place in a, in a uh, I'm going to say that the, the church down the street, as you described it, yeah. it, it seems to run, run counter you know, to kind of that gospel message uh, of grace. And so I, I, I think that, um, you know, that's worth who uh, a pastor or a lay person who might be um, listening, who might take notice of someone who's new, unfamiliar, who comes into their congregation that, you know, it, there ought to be a little bit of theological reflection as to my response. If I immediately kind of bristle and you know, I, I don't want to be too encouraging of that person, and hopefully, maybe too many. You know, uh, too many won't be too friendly and such. Um, and maybe that person will kind of go on down the road to the next place. Um, that really does happen. You know, James described it in a p- particular way, and and I just think that that uh, what what you're describing is trying to pave a way is really something that is at the heart of the gospel. You know, Todd, and and you know the Bible as well as I do. uh, Jesus said the the beast of the field have their lair. The birds of the air have their nest. The Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Um, He he didn't do well financially. Um, He refused the license of the Pharisees, Mm -hmm. which kept him on the outside. Uh, looking in, um, he did uh, when he the triumphal entry Palm Sunday last night. I, I've been preaching through a particular book of the Bible. I, I came in last night. I was prepared. I was ready to go. A couple of two or three of the guys stopped me at the back door and said, "What's Palm Sunday? What is what's what does this mean? What's Palm Sunday? Is this?" You got to you got to put your hand out, and somebody slaps you some skin. It's Palm Sunday, and uh, so between the back door and the pulpit, um, I had to go to the four passages in the book in the Gospels that that recount the triumphal entry uh, and and preach those. Uh, he came in uh, that night. Uh, Jesus did that that day. Uh, riding a donkey's colt. He did it purposefully. It wasn't some weird thing, and he didn't steal somebody's animal. 
He had prepared it beforehand because he knew he was coming back down there. He knew what he was going to. He was coming up to Jerusalem again, I mean, and he knew what he wanted people to see mm-hmm. and what he wanted them to know. And he, in essence, triggered the events that led to his death at the end of the week by riding in yes. on a donkey's colt. It, it, uh, it was... Uh, uh, he he planned he 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 had it all figured out, and they responded exactly as as he anticipated. The crowds that day, and the people who would kill him later, responded exactly uh, in the way that our master knew they would. He he was all about humility, down to the very end. I, I mean, he's coming up to Jerusalem for the last time. And the sons of thunder, one of them gets on one side and one of them gets on the other. And they say, hey, mom wanted us to ask if you if when you come again in glory in your kingdom, can I sit on your right hand and Bubba on your left? I, I, they were still asking for stuff. Right. And he's on his way to die. Yeah. And, and they still didn't get it after the resurrection. Right. If you come to the ascension. They're, they're still saying, will you, will you at this time restore the kingdom unto Israel? He, this is not what he was about. He was about the work. Uh, when we talk about our response to people as they come in, we're really talking about our responsibility to God. Yes. And uh, our responsibility to God, of course, is to follow the gospel story. And it if, if we've done such a poor job, and, and you haven't, but I have, if we've done such a poor job that they don't even have the Gospels yet, mm-hmm. then we ought to just stop everything else we're doing, go to the Gospels, and, and stay there until somebody gets it. Yeah. Yeah, you know, um, I probably is worth saying, um, you haven't always been the executive director of Chains of Grace, so I want my listeners to know, if they've not heard us on before, that if my calculations are right, you spent the better part of almost four decades in pastoral ministry. And, yeah, that's correct. And so um, this isn't like we're, we're, we're unfamiliar with these sorts of things that go on in, in a church. This isn't just an executive director who's speculating about how churches respond or don't. And, and so um, that's why I'm fascinated because, interestingly enough, what you're describing, many have uh, decided to pejoratively um, uh, assign the, the label. You're just doing social justice. There, there's no no gospel. But when yeah, we're doing gospel ministry, yes. When there, and when you describe the social aspect, there's an aspect of justice, and and we do. Yeah, we're. We're right out there with people. We're doing gospel ministry. We're Christ-centered. We're doing gospel ministry. And, and I think our guys talk on the reentry podcast. If they don't, if they don't get to God pretty quick, then then I'm surprised. I uh, yes, and and I and I when you described uh, at that opening uh, a bit where you were describing all that is invested in just even one person from healthcare to jobs to identification to recovering driver's licenses to uh, helping learn to manage 
the income so that they can they can uh, handle the oppressive fees that are associated with uh, getting out of prison. And a lot of folks don't recognize that. I mean, here you know, here I am in the state that incarcerates more per capita than any in the country, male yeah. or female. Famous. And so when when we start thinking, as you described it, that, well, these folks are just, they're not trying, you know, they're, you know, they, they're just losers. They're just really going to, you know, they're just going to go back to prison. And you give the stats that if, if they can be helped on their feet uh, uh, for three years, th- their recidivism rate is, is very low. They stay out by 68% and, and yet the five-year mark at 77%. Mm-hmm. That's tremendous because, frankly, Frankly, we and I know you probably remember this, but but we often deal with folks who are addicts who don't make it to prison. No, oh, no. And the recidivism rate, for example, for methamphetamine, yes, or uh, alcoholism, is incredibly high. Yes, and by percentage. So yeah, you contrast those addictions yeah. to what you describe. And the, the church ought to be well aware of all that's involved in serving, feet washing, if you will, those who have great need. And when you, when you start uh, cataloging the cost to someone who doesn't have a job, mm-hmm. who has to start paying the mm-hmm. minute they get out for all these assigned um, programs, uh, it's tough, and if they don't have someone like Chains of Grace, you know, helping, guiding, uh, they've not managed a checkbook in 20, 30, 40 years. They've not budgeted, yeah. and and so those things are instrumental. They're vital. You can't just say pray about that or, you know, uh, God's going to give you some sort of Gnostic knowledge, and you'll, you'll just kind of, you know, intuit everything. I know you. I know you too well. I learned most of my pastoring from you. There's a long walk you take with people. And uh, it's not this uh, microwave um, evangelism. It's a a long journey. Uh, Peterson called it long obedience in the same direction. It has a consequent effect on those we encounter. And this is what you describe. And 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 that's a wonderful way to put it, a long long walk, a long journey, uh, a long sojourn in the same direction. Um, A lot of our guys are going to be with us forever. They're going to be with us till they die. Um, we have Brother John. Uh, he's one of our uh, podcast persons. Uh, John had never been uh, caught, never been, barely had a speeding ticket till he was 45. And at 45 was arrested and got 299s to run concurrent. Uh, so he's, he's wearing two 99-year sentences. He'll never be off parole, and he knows it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We're walking, John's walking the same direction with us. He is actually um, helping uh, to uh, run these guys around some. He's uh, actually helping to lead one of our houses now. We want these guys to stay with our ministry even after they're allowed to leave. And, and of course, the ones who just can't. Uh, We have two guys in their 80s. Uh, they'll die with us. Uh, John's in his 70s. John will be with us from now on. The prison system's not set up for geriatric. It's just not. 
Uh, and and most reentry places, not not most, a good many reentry places cannot take them, so they will not take them because they, they can't deal with them. Uh, we're having to retrofit some of our houses, uh, some of our facilities, uh, and and what we have to do as much as anything is when a fella gets where he can't get around because of age, because of infirmity. Uh, he gets uh, he gets a helper, mm. and uh, somebody uh, somebody uh, is his buddy, and uh, and it's usually more than one. Um, we have some guys who are in their eighties who simply cannot drive anymore. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so uh, the least simple thing is is too hard for them. We have to bring them groceries. Uh, we have sources to help us with that. Um, we we can keep them alive for a long, long time. And and frankly, uh, some of our older guys are just the best guys we've got. Mm-hmm. But they messed up and they spent their whole productive life in prison. And I'm sorry. Right. Uh, prisons are there because they need to be. I would love to empty all the prisons and close all the jails and send everybody home. And, uh, and let everybody be productive. Uh, some folks, uh, let me tell you, and, and you've mentioned one of the categories, the meth users, the alcoholics. Uh, Brother Todd, one of our uh, things that we end up having to say to families a lot of times is uh, there's worse things than going to prison. Yes. Uh, you can go to the grave. Yeah. Uh, you can kill somebody. Uh, you can you can tear up uh, flesh and bone and, and private property, and uh, you can kill people. And we just uh, we understand that there are worse things than going to prison. So we certainly support our prison folks. But the truth of the matter is, it costs an awful lot of tax money to keep somebody in prison. And once uh, once we get our hands on them, uh, we have a very we don't have a zero recidivism rate. We have people who make bad choices. Right. We sent a young lady uh, back into the system last week, and it's heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. But here's something else that we find ourselves saying a lot of times: if your recovery means more to me than it means to you. And we're not going to get anything done. Yes. You've got to repent. You've got to show some remorse. We'll walk with you. We'll hold your hand. We'll cry with you. We'll hurt with you. But if your recovery means more to us than it means to you, then then we're not going to get anywhere because we already know how we feel about you. We already know what we want for you. Now we have to help you and you have to help us decide what you want. Had a long conversation with another young lady last night. And uh, I always keep two other people in the room with me when we have one of these conversations. And I'm just going to be blunt about it. There's the person we're talking to, and then there are two other people, and then there's me. And uh, one of the persons with us is the designated good person. And the other one is the designated pragmatist who just tells them how it's going to be. And I am the old bear. 
I am the main old bear who just tells them this is not the kind of ministry we're running. This is not the kind of house we're going to have. If you want to go back to jail, tell me now and I can arrange. Yeah. Now, few of them choose it right then, but uh, we are, we're not. Every now and then I find myself with the plaited rope in my hand, cleaning out the temple. And uh, I'm sorry, that's just the way it goes. Yeah, and and kind of getting back to that theme of of something that's decidedly or distinctively uh, a Christ centered about uh, chains of grace. You know, uh, I had a friend uh, text me, and uh, he said, "Why do you suppose that the church has gone from referring to people who don't come as unchurch rather than pagans?" And uh, I thought he had a pretty insightful question because what what you're, you you've set out in describing chains of graces is listen we understand our mission we understand who we represent we're unashamed to say that that these are uh, the means that we use to make sure you understand we are here to help you but but not at the expense of sacrificing that you know about God's love and God's grace. And sometimes that takes a clearing of the temple, or sometimes that takes a, uh, a cursed fig tree to remind us, um, hey, you see what will happen here. Mm-hmm. See, what, we'll see what could come. And so I, I thought maybe that, that you know, as, as we kind of come, you know, make, make a turn here, and, uh, that it, it would be helpful that when you said we're not faith-based, we're Christ-centered, Mm-hmm. Um, I I think it would be important to kind of uh, maybe press that distinction because uh, there are a lot of people who have a lot of time coming out of prison. Uh-huh. And while they've been in prison, they have been exposed because there's not a lot to do. There's a lot of reading that's going on. Mm-hmm. And they can be exposed to a number of uh, life philosophies. And I'm sure you have, have have encountered, you know, some who uh, have have maybe had some exposure there, but then they come to chains of grace. How do you communicate that distinctive, you know, in such a way that it's not, maybe not to borrow your expression, not a bearish way, but as, as certainly a way to, to point to something altogether different than just you can believe anything? Well, frank, frankly, uh, sometimes we're a little bearish about it. Um, we you know, we love these folks. Uh, there's there's no stature or status or prestige or power or money in this ministry. If you don't love God and love these folks, you're you're not going to last till the water gets hot. There are a lot of ministries. You're exactly right. A lot of ministries, uh, many Christian ministries, many uh, non-Christian uh, works of faith that. Uh, are available to a person as long as they're in prison. Uh, they're not going anywhere. Uh, they're at the lowest of the low, and uh, you can get a hearing. Yeah. Um, when they come out, uh, a lot of them are released uh, in our state, uh, from our state prison from down in Huntsville, and you come out and there's two big barrels. Uh, one's for 
whatever trash they want to throw away. And the other is uh, to recycle Bibles. Mm. Uh, they take their Bible uh, or their Koran or whatever, and they, they throw it in that barrel. And there are some ministries that just come down there and recycle the Bibles and get them back to people who are inside. I've had people look at me and say, uh, you know, Pastor Rick, God got me through 30 years. God is what got me through prison. I'll take it from here. Uh, I, I got it now. Um, or they've gotten involved in some kind of aberrant uh, cultic uh, branch off the Christian tree. And uh, we, we teach Bible. We teach the, the Christian gospel. Um, last night, uh, 45 minutes on, on uh, the triumphal entry in the last 18 months of the, uh, uh, you, know, you know, Jesus's ministry divides beautifully into two 18-month periods, mm -hmm. from the wedding feast of Cana Galilee to uh, the Mount of Transfiguration, from the Mount of Transfiguration 18 months forward to uh, the, uh, the crucifixion, resurrection, certainly the appearances and the ascend, uh, ascendance. The first 18 months of his, of his ministry, of his three-year three ministry, Jesus majors on mirac uh, miracles and, and also teaches. He, he is, so to speak, he somewhat minors on teaching. The last 18 months, he majors on teaching, particularly small groups. And uh, he still certainly... Uh, enacts miracles, but that's not the primacy of what he, what he does. Um, we find ourselves in that last 18 months a lot, uh, talking about who Jesus is, what Jesus does, what the great commandment is, what the great command is, uh, what, uh, what a person is supposed to do. We talk about the great commission. We talk about their place in it. Um, we we do find ourselves having to say, it's okay for you to tell me what you think. Uh, I won't name the groups, but we get different folks from different groups. I don't want to I don't create uh, an issue with anybody. We still want sure. uh, their folks. Uh, they'll get with us and find out pretty quick that we are uh, uh, we are what used to be called mainstream Christian, Orthodox Christian. Uh, we believe in Jesus Christ and him crucified, Jesus Christ and him resurrected, <clears throat> Jesus Christ and him coming again. And we do have people who disagree with us. Uh, we certainly allow disagreements, but we don't agree with them. Mm -hmm. And so we find ourselves just saying we're Christ-centered. And, and when you start trying to add something, uh, the Gnostics did it, that others down through the way, when you try to add something and say Jesus plus this equals salvation, uh, as, soon as, as soon as you've added that plus, uh, you've left being Christ-centered. Mm -hmm. uh, we say, Jesus, there's no other name given unto heaven by which men must be saved but that of Jesus Christ. Jesus plus Nothing equals salvation. Mm -hmm. Jesus plus nobody equals salvation. Certainly, we must exercise faith. I understand that. Mm -hmm. I'm not 
trying to call people away from faith. The truth of the matter is you can have faith in an ashtray over there, and we have some who do, uh, but that ashtray won't help you. You can have faith in, in this or that different kind of God, Zoroaster for that matter, but that won't help you. And it certainly won't uh, help you get the salvation that you need. We, we still believe that people need to be saved. You know, I'm, I'm so old that before people were called unchurched, they were called lost. Mm-hmm. People who were outside of it all were called lost. And, and we did what you've already uh, specified. We tried to walk with them uh, for however long it took in the uh, right direction. And some would come and go with us. And some would fall by the wayside and some would tell us right up front, don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, Some of them, some of the lost people that I've known in my life who told me uh, to go away and leave them alone, uh, eventually became the best kind of Christian I've ever known. My father, Mm -hmm. uh, 57 years old when he came to Christ as alcoholic, um, Profane babbler told me when I became a Christian that he didn't want anything to do with it and he didn't want it in his house. And if I had to run that mess, I could just pack my bag and get gone. And I did for a while at a very young age uh, in my young teens. Um, He got saved. There's that old word when he was 57, lived another 23 years, never took another drink. Never, uh, I never heard a foul word out of his mouth. I saw him help uh, hundreds, hundreds of people mm-hmm. come to faith in Jesus Christ before he died and went on to heaven himself. Uh, I, I don't want to sound like somebody's salesman, but every no gets you closer to the next yes. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have people who tell us no. But we believe what we believe, and ultimately we want them to come go with us. Yeah, and and I think an important thing there is 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 that um, your pattern has always been, um, it, the, uh, as you describe it, the the no doesn't mean go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, You've you've walked too many miles, too many times, mm-hmm. and and persisted, and uh, and I think that um, you know persistence in care and persistence in in love and persistence in grace along the way. You know, we've still got some friends that uh, we we met all those years ago. Mm-hmm. That um, mm-hmm. you know, some days are good for them, and some days aren't so good for them. Oh yes, I and, can. And yet, and yet, uh, they've been born with and love and care for a, a long, long time. And, and I, I don't want anybody to get the mistaken idea that um, you or me or, or hopefully anybody uh, else would be so dismissive of a person that if, uh, you know, you, you gave uh, a clear description of, of the good news and, and they said either no or not yet, that all of a sudden, for some reason, they were now anathema and to be opposed. Instead, uh, uh, all the more, uh, it, you know, there's an opportunity for, for love and care. And sometimes those just take a long time. 
and uh, and and what you're describing here with those who come out of long-term incarceration, um, it just presents an opportunity for us to remember that, frankly, everyone's incarcerated to something. I mean, everybody's captive to something. That's right. And so when, when uh, you know, I think it's J. Lewis Martin, you know, kind of popularized or gave us a, uh, another description of uh, how to talk about the powers that hold us. Uh, was really saying that the the powers of sin and death are terrible taskmasters, terrible kings over us. And so we may not make our way into the big house, mm-hmm. but we all have found ourselves incarcerated and held captive mm-hmm. to a thing that has not liberated us. And so while we certainly have had as our primary subject the ministry of Chains of Grace, we don't want anyone off the hook thinking that, well, somehow they're not incarcerated. And, mm-hmm. uh, and that the good news of Holy Week is that certainly Jesus knew well what he was doing. He knew the signals he was giving, the, uh, the drama he was creating for our liberty, for our liberation and our freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, Rick, I think it'd be important that, you know, someone might have, have kind of, um, heard us, uh, listened, and, and they might want to support uh, Chains of Grace. It, you are a, uh, a nonprofit, I believe. Right. And, and so um, all, all that goes on is actually uh, provided for by gifts and donations and, and commitments. And, uh, and so if someone were wanting to uh, give to support Chains of Grace, how would they do that? Well, the uh- let me close just with this. We, we, we do three things. Prevention, that's before anybody ever gets in trouble. We want to prevent it. Uh, if we can come to your church or to your men's group or to your young men's group, uh, I have a thing I do that's PG-13. And it, just so that you'll know that it's that, um, I can make it PG for a regular church service. I don't choose to go into R or X, although it's certainly out there. Um, we we love to we love to come do uh, preventive uh, things for people and talk about this is what you need to stay away from. This is what you need to avoid. Um, so we do a lot of that. Uh, we do a very little bit of therapy for people who are uh, incarcerated. Uh, it's impossible not to to do some of it. You can't just leave it alone. But there are lots and lots of ministries, very good ones, for uh, persons as long as they're in prison when they come, or in jail. Uh, when they come out, not so much. Um, and then our primary thing is reentry. So uh, let me just say, for $25,000, we can open another house. And what we do is go and we buy a, a, a mobile home, trailer house, uh, put a down payment on it, put a few thousand dollars into it to get it up to code, uh, make it nice, as nice as it can be, and then we'll put eight or nine guys, ten guys in it, whatever it'll, it can legally hold, uh, according to the state, and uh, they will... Uh, they will eventually pay fees to live there, not right away, 
but they'll pay not rent, but a fee to be in our program. And, and so our places become self-supporting, um, but primarily we're supported by donations. And uh, if somebody wanted to donate to us, there are a couple of ways they can do it. One is they can go to our website, www.chainsofgrace.org, www.chainsofgrace.org, and hit the donate button. It's a, frankly, my, my bean counters get mad at me if I don't mention it. It's on every page. There's one on every page. <laughs> and uh, you can hit donate, sign up on PayPal. If you already have a PayPal account, you just uh, do the things that indicate you're sending the money to us. And then with a, another stroke of a button, you can uh, donate to us uh, that way. If you are like me and you are older, and you still write checks, you can, uh, I do this and, and numerous others do it. You can send us a check made out to Chains of Grace. Do not make it out to me, make it out to Chains of Grace. Uh, for any amount, and we appreciate every amount, but if you want to send a check, uh, make that check out to Chains of Grace, put an envelope, uh, Send it to Chains of Grace, Post Office Box 1344, Post Office Box 1344, Midlothian, Texas, M-I-D-L-O-T-H-I-A-N, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And uh, we will uh, get that. Uh, you will get uh, such tax credit is, is still available for it. And uh, it's, it's all of it's used for the ministry. Our administrative costs are very, very low. And uh, the money uh, goes into the ministry, all of it. And we would really, uh, I'd love to have another $25,000 that I could put into another house right now. So if you want to send me any part of $25,000 or you want to send me $25,000, you go ahead and do it. You also know someone who needs this ministry. I have uh, been amazed since I've been in this ministry about the number of people who have a loved one who's incarcerated. Uh, We have taken people from as far away as Georgia. Uh, who are incarcerated and uh, who have to come out, have to have a place, have to be taken care of. Uh, We have numerous uh, veterans of the armed forces. I don't don't think anybody knows. uh, I don't think it gets said a lot. Uh, 2% of the American population are veterans. 10% of the prison population are veterans. Uh, so we we take a lot of veterans. Uh, frankly, we have Marines. We have uh, Army Rangers. Uh, uh, we have a lot of folks. Uh, if you want to help us have a veterans home uh, where we could just put veterans. If you want to help us with our ladies home, uh, we have a home now in Fort Worth, Texas for ladies. If you want to help us with that, uh, more and more women are going to prison. Yes. 
more and more and more women are going to prison. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. It's uh, this whole Me Too thing. Yeah, it cuts both ways, ladies. Mm-hmm. Well, be careful. Uh, the uh, and, and we don't, unlike, unlike many ministries, we, we will not house women and men together. We just won't do it. It's just a recipe for disaster. Yeah. So we have a, a ladies' home. It's a good distance from our other homes. Uh, frankly, it's nicer, but it's expensive. If you want to help us with our ladies' home, uh, we'd love to have it. So uh, go to our website, chainsofgrace.org, hit donate, go to PayPal, uh, send some money our way. We'll appreciate it. Or if you just want to send us a check, money order, whatever, I get all of them. Uh, Chains of Grace, Post Office Box 1344, Midlothian, Texas, 76065. And we'll use the money the right way, I promise. We'll be sure to post that on the blog post that goes up with this podcast. So if you didn't have a chance as you're listening, maybe to pull over and write this down, it won't be lost for you. You can just check back over there. We'll have the address to Chains of Grace and and a a link to the donate button so that you uh, could uh, help uh, provide maybe a, a, another house, as Rick described, or or help with uh, a veteran's home or help with a lady's home, any way you'd like to. And, and maybe there's another um, opportunity. I, I hope you heard that uh, uh, Rick would love to come to your church, talk to your men's group, uh, talk to your church about some of the things that he has learned, they have learned over this period of time working with those who have been incarcerated and are working their way back into what we would call uh, normal civilian life. So uh, be looking for that when the podcast drops this week. And uh, Rick, I want to, I want to say thanks for uh, you being on today. Thank you for uh, having us. Your time. Yeah. We're just, it's always uh, good to hear your voice. Hey, I hope you found the content of that podcast, that conversation helpful informative, but also maybe you feel uh, like you want to participate in the Ministry of Chains of Grace. Again, in the show notes, uh, we'll have links, and you certainly heard Rick give a couple of uh, um, points along the way where uh, he noted how and the ways in which you could be involved, prayer, giving, etc. As always, I want to thank you for listening, and remember, uh, share the podcast. Um, uh, go on iTunes, log in, and give us a rating or review. It uh, helps us get found. Even though we've been at this a while, it, it, the algorithms work that uh, uh, new reviews and new ratings kind of help us uh, get discovered along the way. We just want to be a help to those who pastor or those who serve in pastoral ministry, whether they're uh, in vocation or uh, by vocation, or as we like to, uh, some like to refer to it as in lay pastoral work. Uh, We think these um, themes, subjects, are of of value and help. We'll have some uh, content coming up uh, in May. It'll be a busy month, so we'll see how it goes. But uh, I've got lots of opportunities, uh, hopefully uh, contacting some uh, new guests and may uh, sneak an old guest on about a new upcoming book. So until next time, I want to thank you for listening. This has been Todd Littleton with Pathological, the podcast of the pastor theologian. Peace. Peace.